Go ahead and turn to John chapter 4. We're picking up in verse 43. We're working our way through the book of John, verse by verse, occasionally dipping in and going thought by thought like a little bit today. Um, But I hope just to point out a couple takeaways from this text, tell the story in its time here, in its, uh, in its era in first century Jerusalem, but then take a step back and look and say, okay, what does this mean? How has this encouraged pe- people in 1253 and 1993 and today? And uh, so just try to unpack these truths and, and make them helpful to us. So I want to pray for us before we get started, um, because as we're going to see, we need God's help to see what he wants us to see, the spiritual. Uh, we so easily get caught up in the physical uh, and, and we'll, we'll see this in the story. It's so evident. So let's just pray and ask God to help us spiritually see what it is that he wants us to see and to hear spiritually, not just words, but spiritually hear the truth of God so that we are convicted to our core and it leads us to repentance. That's how we're changed. So let's ask God to do those mysterious spiritual things for us this morning as we open his word and, and look for truth that he has there for us, okay? Lord, I thank you so much for um, the ability to gather together and open a Bible that is complete from Genesis to Revelation and preach and declare truth from it. Lord, out of all the thousands and millions of people around this planet who have very little access to the Word, we have it. We have it on TV screens. We have it for free copies. We're so blessed. Lord, may we not be inoculated to how special it is to have this text and be able to open it up and declare God's truth for all ages. Not subjective hearsay, but objective truth that's worth centering and building your life on. God, may we have this today. May you encounter us at a deep foundational level today so that we are lived, that, that we live our lives differently because of November 27, 2011. And what the Word of God, the powerful, mysterious, miraculous Word did to us on that day. Would this be our story in 40 years from now? God help us. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, so as we dig into John 4... All right, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one close by. I always say it every week. Take it if you don't have one. Give it away. Wrap it. It's a good gift to give. Uh, yeah, use them. Okay, so, so find your place in John. We have the, the visual aids here, but I'd I love for you to have a copy in your hands uh, and mark it up. There should be pencils or pens around. All right, so, so John's purpose here in writing this story, in giving us this story, particularly John 4, beginning in 43 and ending in 54, is to reveal to us, which this is nothing new. This is John's point from the very beginning. This is why he gave us his letter. He wants to reveal to us the true identity of Jesus Christ, that he's not just a man who does cool things and who can do some, some magic tricks, like so many people in this era could do little magic tricks but he is Messiah. He doesn't just handle the physical. He can help do magic, if you will, into the spiritual leading into eternal life. He's not just a man with tricks. He's a man with real hope. He is the son of God that the Old Testament was written about pointing towards the Messiah, the greater son of David who's here to rescue and rescue with power and rescue with hope. 
and rescue with greatness. This is our Jesus, and this is what we're going to be seeing today. And this is why John gave us this story. So in today's passage, we're going to learn a little bit here of this boy, this dying son who has disease all through his body. And also we see a little bit into what his father was concerned with as he seeks God's help, as he he seeks Jesus' help in particular. And as we'll see, they get much more than what they expected. So let's read, and we'll get into it. After the two days, he departed for Galilee. John's little commentary here, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. For they too had gone to the feast, the Passover feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed, and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Okay, as we get into this text today, I want you to look for two things. One, I want you to look for the power of Jesus over sickness, which is the physical. And I also want you to see the grace of Jesus towards unbelief which is in line with more of the spiritual and how Jesus responds to sickness and how Jesus responds to weak belief, unbelief, weak belief at best. When I first considered this passage of scripture a couple weeks ago, I thought we were going to be able to attach this to last week's sermon, but last week we already had 42 verses and it was a little much to try to handle this many more. So, When I first read this, I realized I really don't understand what's going on here. This looks like a traditional story. We've seen stories like this all through the Bible, how Jesus heals. But Jesus' reaction to this guy and this guy's reaction to Jesus. And the Greek helps us. I'm not like trying to quote a lot of Greek and, and and make myself sound like I really know what I'm talking about because a lot of that is foreign to me. I've forgotten so much from seminary. But Greek does help us here. Understanding the original languages helps us, and that really begins to show how layered and complex this story gets. And we're going to get there. We're going to unpack this. So let's look here at the transitional verses of 43 through 45 before we go any further because it points us to, again, a little bit more clearly why John gives us this story right after this transition. 
After the two days, he departed for Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. Literally, what this means is Jesus is saying this. I'm going home because I have no honor at home. Doesn't really make sense. But look at the welcome. They welcomed him, but this welcome isn't what we initially think that it is. There's much more that meets the eye here. You see, these people were not welcoming Jesus as to honor him as Messiah. They were welcoming him because of his ability to perform miracles and make their life better and make life more exciting and fun and easy. So it's like, yay, the miracle worker's here, not, look, the Messiah, the son of David, the one that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were pointing towards. He's here. It wasn't that type of welcome. It was a superficial welcome. So this points to a truth here that's a little scary for me. I think for all of us, if we're honest, that we can welcome Jesus into our worldview without ever honoring him with our lives. We can build our whole life around Jesus and church. And even our adjusting with fear of death built around Jesus. And yet still never honor him with our lives, never welcome him as Messiah. Just one that is really convenient and beats the other worldviews. So it's kind of like this makes more sense. I was raised in this without really honoring him. And that's what he's looking for. He's looking for people that would honestly, sincerely honor him. That's satisfying, as we'll see. So as a way of unpacking this truth, John gives us our story. The truth of what? That Jesus comes in and gets a superficial, shallow, selfish, self-interest welcome. Not a genuine welcome, right? You with me? Okay, so as he, he gives us this transitional piece for a reason. Now he gives us the story. Verse 46. So he came again to Cana in Galilee where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son for he was at the point of death. This father travels 20 miles to find Jesus. And this servant here is an officer. He's a worker for the king. He's a nobleman for the king. His title here in the Greek is attached to a king. And the king overall during this time was Herod Antipas, the one who killed John the Baptist. So this is a worker for someone who didn't really like at all Christ, John the Baptist. The idea of the Messiah coming. And he was an employee of that king, most likely. Though we don't know for sure, but he was the king during this time, so I believe it was Herod Antipas. So this servant of the king and father of this terminally sick boy, okay, that's the, that's the idea here, is one of the many who believed in the physical manifestations and miracles of Christ, but who also failed to see Jesus as Messiah 
And we see this because remember it says this is, this, these were the people who gathered together because they saw what he had done at the feast, all the miracles that he had done at the feast. Remember this? And we just read this. So the father here, as well as the overwhelming majority of the Galileans, had this superficial, shallow, welcoming faith. Look in John 2. Go back there with me. John 2, 23 through 25. This is the type of faith. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, which is exactly what was just referenced of why this man was here, because he saw him do these things at the feast. He saw him do miracles. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. Sounds great, right? It's the superficial self-interest belief. It's not true saving faith at all. You see this because it says, but Jesus did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man. This is speaking of at the heart, at the core, uh, motive. So this guy was a type of person who would say this. I must see a convincing trick or two before I'll follow you as more than a miracle worker. Or maybe this. Who he is and what he does doesn't convince me. But maybe a miracle will. Show me a few. Or to bring it down to our level, and this is where it gets really, really personal and practical. God hasn't moved in my life lately. He seems rather quiet. Therefore, it's hard to believe in him right now. Are you there? (laughs) I know a lot of us are here. A lot of us are in this place. The what have you done for me lately type of belief. And I'm only going to follow if I feel subjective emotion that you're near. So you're basing everything around a subjective emotional feeling instead of the objective truth that's found in the word of God of your identity as you are found in Christ. This is, at, this is getting to the point of the passage of Scripture today. Let's keep digging. Let's see how Christ responds to this unbelief or, or weak faith. All right, so he came down to Galilee, went to him, asked him to come down, heal his son, for he was at the point of death, literally, seconds away. He could have died before he got back home, those 20 miles. And Jesus said to him, you ready for this? Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. What? Does that not seem odd? Seems odd to me. You see, Christ's words here were designed to challenge the desperate father to go beyond self-interest, shallow welcome, and to recognize Jesus as more than a miracle worker. The father has heard and maybe even witnessed Jesus' miracles. He's tried everything else. In the Greek here, there's such desperation. It's like one one last try. I've tried everything. I'll try one more thing. He sees Jesus as only one more possibility to help his son. So it can't hurt to ask. All he can do is say, no, I'm going to go find him and ask him. I saw what he did at the feast. 
But Jesus knew what was in his heart. Remember John 2, 23-25. He knew his motive. He knew his lack of faith. So he's part of the people that Jesus would say, I'm not going to entrust myself to you. It's self-interest. It's not seeing me and honoring me. It's more about you than it is about me. So there could be no faking here with Christ. And Jesus knew with his motive here that without a sick son, the father would have never pursued Christ. You take the boy out of the picture, you don't see this man in the story. You don't see him following Christ. It's the sick boy that he's after. It's not Christ. I want to honor you. You see that? It's there, right? You see, going back to last week's text, he was merely concerned with the physical, the sickness of his son, rather than the spiritual, the sin in his life and the sin in his son's life. The physical or the spiritual. It's all through this. Over the last two chapters, you have Jesus and Nicodemus. You must be born again. How can you be born twice? It's the physical. He's thinking physically. He's not thinking spiritually. The woman at the well. Oh, if you had living water. Where's your bucket, sir? The physical. He's talking about spiritual. The disciples. When Jesus said, the food that I have is to do the will of the Father that sent me. Who who fed Jesus a sandwich? It's the physical. This man is living this out. Jesus, help me. My son is sick. Jesus is thinking, you're so physical. You're all about the signs and wonders. If you, I, I feel like here, going back to the woman at the well, where he could take a step back and just say, if you knew who you were asking to heal your son, you would ask me to do much more than heal your son. You would ask me to redeem him and give him eternal life. As we were studying this, Jacob pointed out the story of when the four men dropped the man down uh, from the ceiling, the, 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 the paralyzed man. And he says, which is easier for me to say your sins are forgiven or take up your bed and walk? implying sins are forgiven and eternal life is much more epic than being healed from being paralyzed on a mat for 65 years. Eternal life is eternal. This is so much more. But Jesus in that story says, but let it be according to your faith. I'll do both. Wow, that's awesome, right? (laughs) That's wonderful. That's her Jesus. He's so gracious. I mean, he's criticizing this man's faith. This is where we would expound. We would have a sermon on the mount or whatever was close by. We would just go into all the frustration we have, if we were Christ, about how superficial this faith is and how poor your welcoming is, how you don't honor me, and just expound and expound and heap guilt, 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 shame, shame, Shame because we don't understand the grace that is at the very core of Christ's heart. The tenderness. Oh, that our city would see this Jesus instead of how often we act as we expound on how wicked things are and how good we are. Okay? It's a thought. So, come heal my son. Your faith is so Weak. And here's the father's response. You ready? The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. 
The father didn't seem here to have faith that Christ could offer any help if his son had died. You see that? It's just kind of in there. It's just, yeah, it's like, come, come before my child dies. Because if you come after, there's absolutely no hope. Which points again to his lack of faith. Just like Martha and Mary at the tomb of Lazarus. If you had been here sooner, he wouldn't have died. But you're here too late. What did Jesus do? He's on time. Lazarus, come forth. The little girl who was already dead. Oh, he walks in. He's like, she's not dead. She's only asleep. Rise up. He walks in and says, hey, your daughter's hungry. Can you get her something to eat? She needs some refreshment. Refreshment. She was dead. Jesus was right on time. So this points to his lack of belief that he could do anything. And if he's Messiah, by mere definition, he can do whatever he wants, when he wants it. Nothing can hold him back from that, if he's Messiah. He didn't see him as Messiah. This points to this. He didn't see that he was capable of bringing his son back to life. He was only seeing Jesus as someone who could offer healing and help before his last breath. So to look at it like this, look at it as Jesus as man, Christ as Messiah, Son of God. Christ meaning Messiah, the title, Jesus, man. Look at these two things. If you can break those into two, which you can't, but let's in practice theory, whatever. He had faith in Jesus as a miracle worker, but did not have faith in Messiah. That he was bigger than a mere man. Okay? That's, that's at the heart of the problem here. Okay, so let's look at Christ's response. So the father said, basically, unaffected by his rebuttal, God, come help me. You have weak faith. What do you think he did right there? Sir, my, my faith might be weak, but my son's dying. Jesus says, go. Your son will live. Amazing. Chemical changes took place in that boy's body 20 miles away. The disease was conquered. Blood cells were altered. The fever was gone. The trajectory of death was interrupted. What Satan meant for evil, what just happened? How was this a good thing? Satan was so close to destroying this. And here comes Jesus, our hero, to save the day. Yeah. That's what he does. It's our Jesus. Amazing. Go, your son will live. The man believed the word. Again, the emphasis here in the Greek is not necessarily in Christ, but just in the statement that he said, which is still insufficient, as we're going to unpack he, the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. So he came in believing that he had to touch him and had to come with him, right? And then it grew to, okay, well, hey, if he says it, maybe it can happen. So he takes off. So that's growing faith already, but it's still not full faith. But we're going to get there, okay? And, the, man, the grace of Christ that he offers this, this man is Amazing. This grace, meaning favor without considering what is fair or what, is, what this man has earned, just grace. 
And I know at the, at the very center of all his actions in this story, as well as every story, is Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, 17. And you can read the similar thing in Luke 5, 31 and Matthew 9, 12. Unbelievable truth. Jesus says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So as he's criticizing this man's faith, he gives him a miracle anyway, because he came for such a person. This encourages me. Weak in faith, shaky belief, wanting God's hand and what he can perform rather than God's face and just who he is. Seeking what can happen rather than God himself. We're there a lot, much more often if we were really honest with ourselves. And Jesus offers grace. Amazing. And I love that he can heal remotely, which I'm sure blew this man's mind. I can heal from here. It's like remote control. Nothing to it. Here, I think, when he walks away, I think this father now begins to see there's a little bit more to this guy than your average miracle worker. So the father believed. Again, it's the same belief that's in John 2, 23. He believed the word that Jesus had spoken without a visible miracle yet. Verse 51, as he was going down this 20-mile trek, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. You serious? So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. Not when he fully recovered or even got to a place where he could sit up, but just when was it that he began to get better? And they said to him yesterday, and in the Greek it's very important, John points this out in the Greek, that it's not about the seventh hour, it's immediately at 1 p.m. Not 101, John's point here is at 1 p.m. The fever left him. It didn't start to go down. It left him at 1 p.m. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus said to him, your son will live. I love that Jesus nails it. I'm talking at that moment. Look at that power. Sickness, your son will live, boom, chemical change, fever gone. Love that. Even Superman had to fly somewhere. (laughs) Done, just spoken. Love that. And he himself believed. (sighs) That's it. This is different. And this also, this belief modifies the following statement and his whole household. It's beautiful. He became an evangelist, which almost every time you see Jesus touch anybody, they can't help but talk about it. I mean, you can't shut them up. Even when Jesus would say, don't tell anyone, (laughs) that means nothing. They're telling everybody. Are you kidding me? I have hope. (laughs) He goes and tells his whole family. And back then it wasn't like me and Jill and our four kids. It was her parents, my parents, my cousins. Houses had 40 to 60, 80 people in them. Like, 
That's what they considered a house. Literally, a revival broke out in this man's home. Total different culture in his home because of Christ and what he did, which he did much more than heal the physical. This believing here was saving faith. This was faith that had grown. This has become full faith. This wasn't the type of faith that was set on helping your life become better, but faith that was in Christ, the type of faith that leaves anyone who's affected by it feeling satisfied. This belief was attached not only to Jesus as a miracle worker, but to Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah, God in flesh. Total different story. Do you see what else Jesus is doing here in this story? Jesus is teaching his disciples and us today that he deeply cares for and loves the sick, the outcast, those who have shaky faith, those who are consumed with self-interest, those who are deemed by so many, especially the religious crowd, as undesirables, and those who have gone too far. This is what he's teaching his disciples. The woman at the well, Nicodemus, the religious ruler, Nicodemus, really? A leader of the Pharisees? Remember the Pharisees are the ones who called out for Christ's crucifixion? He's going to love him, the Samaritan, the prostitute at the well? Really? Understand the cultural implications of that? Listen to a sermon from last week. It's a big deal that he spent time talking to her. Huge. And now this man, a servant of the king, he's loving him. He's teaching his disciples a lot. He is shattering these religious paradigms. He's crushing these cultural taboos. He's a rebel for our joy and his father's glory. I love it. It's beautiful. Wrapping things up here. As we read this, I couldn't help but write out this question. Am I struggling in my faith? Is my belief in Christ and his help, is my belief that he can practically help me? And is it just that he can practically help me, not in who he is? Do I see Jesus in this text as his words are spoken here, his miracles are here, his person and deity is obvious here? John is writing us so that we would have no excuse to miss Jesus as the Messiah, as fully capable of helping us. And yet we wrestle with unbelief. John wrote this so that we would see that Christ can fully handle our greatest need, which is much more than your physical need. It's your spiritual need, your sin problem, not your sickness issue, not your 65-year-old 60, 65 sickness. It's a sin problem that has eternal consequences, or enjoyment. Jesus came to handle that. 
So here's what I would ask you to do. If you feel weak in your faith, I would pray something like this. God, help me to center my eyes, my affections, my faith on you. Not my circumstances or even what you might be able to do for me. Let me focus on you. I promise you this, you can't do that by yourself. It takes the Holy Spirit himself to come in your heart to teach you how to truly, honestly, sincerely, with integrity, love God. Without what he can do for you. But it's when you see what he did for you that not only welcomes the Holy Spirit into your life, but teaches you how to respond because you see the great love that he's loved you with. As you've been wooed and romanced by him, it's easy to respond without wanting more because you see he's given everything. Second takeaway for me was that Jesus came to meet the needs of the needy. Are you needy? Are you sick and tired of pretending that you're okay? That you're just kind of going along with whatever this Jesus culture is to kind of stay in a safe place? Are you tired of pretending there? This story says to me that you're in the perfect condition to receive Christ's compassion, mercy, grace, and power. So what Satan is trying to use to discourage you and to push you into further isolation from Christ This story tells me that if you're in that place, feeling alone, separated from Christ, that you are a prime prospect to receive compassion from Jesus Christ. Certainly, he's going to stand there and he's going to point out through the power of the Holy Spirit convicting you, this is wrong. You have weak faith. Certainly. But he's also going to love you through it. You see this in this story? It's there. Don't overlook Jesus as you seek to be delivered from your physical sick condition. He's there to handle much more than you may initially be aware of, as this story points out, as this father learned. Jesus has great grace and miraculous power. He has mercy and might. As John unpacks for us, he is grace upon grace, and that's Jesus I want you to take a step back now and look at this story. Consider the themes here. A sick child, a child who had no hope of being saved, a child who had tried nearly every known remedy in order to be healed, a child incapable of making it to Jesus on his own. You have a concerned father a father who desires that his child be saved from his disease, a father who does whatever it takes to see his son cured. Notice that it's only through the father taking the initiative that the son was able to be saved and live. This story sound familiar? This is a picture of what lies at the very heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the story that we're all a part of. This story is really about us and God. We are the sick 
dying child. Though our need is a great need, and it's not physical sickness that lasts a lifetime. Rather, our need is spiritual. We are destroyed by sin. We are rendered hopeless. We are disease-ridden with it. We can't come up with a cure by ourselves. We can try everything. God is the Father who takes the initiative when we are totally incapable of saving ourselves. He sends us Jesus to be the perfect cure for our sin disease that leads to our death. He becomes the cure that reverses that curse and that sickness by becoming the curse and the sickness for us so that we are healed. You see, atonement was needed as our cure. As Jeremy was opening up, the cross was necessary. The crucifixion was necessary. And he said it specifically, for our atonement. You see, our sickness couldn't be taken care of by us being good enough or memorizing enough scripture or going to church often enough or asking the right questions or always having the right answers or being someone who prays all the time. Not that these things are wrong, but it, it doesn't address the sickness. Spiritually speaking, there's chemicals that need to be changed. Spiritually speaking, our blood has to be changed and altered, just like this boy was physically. Spiritually, we have to have something work in us that we can't produce on our, in, our, in our own power through our own abilities. So Jesus became our cure through two specific things. One, Jesus lived perfectly without sin in our place as our representative. You got a jacked up life, you sin a lot, Jesus died so that you could be perfect in God's eyes. He, he lived, I mean, he didn't die, he lived. He lived a life that you can't live, which is perfect. So he lived as your substitute but there's still death. There's still the fear of death. It still has dominion over us. So we can live perfectly and still die. Jesus took care of that too. That's the second thing he did for us, specifically in regards to atonement. Jesus died the death that we deserved and rendered death powerless by beating death. That's why we celebrate Easter as he is resurrected from the grave saying, ha, ah, not enough. I'm still powerful, even more powerful than the grave as he died the death and beat death through his resurrection in our place as our substitute. So now we have the perfect life and we die, but we don't only die, we live. That's just the door to eternal happiness with Christ in heaven at a place that is of such paradise that if we were to catch a glimpse, it would blow our minds. And I think we would run this race of life differently if we really knew what was ahead of us. Oh. Man, oh, that we would as a people, as a community of believers in Nashville, Tennessee, live for what is spiritual and not for what is physical. Remember, as we started out talking about the materialism of the season and the ruckus, oh, that God would even now in this season, over these next four weeks, teach us that it's more about him, more even than the gifts we give in honor of him. 
but certainly to protect us from materialism in this season because it's about the spiritual. It's not about the physical. Oh. <laughs> Jesus was sent to rescue us. He did not come to condemn. You see, he offers grace and truth. Truth, your, weak is faith. your, your faith is weak. Grace, here's a miracle that's going to lead to your faith. <laughs> Are you needy this morning? Do you feel like you've got weak faith? Are you questioning so much and you're just being led into further despair because of your search? Would you, would you go to Jesus and would you see that he's already had a father that's pursuing you, that sent him on mission because you couldn't come to him yourself, even if you wanted? Fully incapable. Would you see that Christ is what you need? It's not more knowledge. It's not being healed physically. It's Jesus. Not what he can give, but Jesus. May we be encouraged with this word of truth today. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for what you have done for us. Would we believe that you are who you say you are? Would we not be deceived into thinking that you're not enough? God, give us faith and grace and speak truth to us. Thank you for being a loving father who took the initiative to give us the cure. It blows my heart. It's crazy. Thank you, Jesus. In Christ's name, amen.